Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapaknas. I want to welcome you to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapaknas believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapaknas is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapaknas to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknas.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. something like the Apostle Paul right now, where I'm, I've got my final message, so to speak, right? Hopefully it's not final, final, but my final message for the next year. Uh, and I have so much I want to say, so much I want to communicate, so much I hope for, so much I envision, uh, because the fact of the matter is, in a year's time when I come back, you all will be different. You all will be different. This church will be different. This won't be the same walk off as it, it is today. And that's a good thing. It needs to change. We need to change. We need to develop. We need to grow. We need to be different. And so I'm, I'm sitting here looking forward to the future and saying, how do, how do I help you from now until then to get there, right? What do I give you? What, what kind of truth do I present to you that says, that's something we can carry with us. And so as I was thinking, Stephen was gracious enough to let me preach. He pretty much said, preach whatever you want to preach on here. Not in a sermon series. Um, I'm not obligated to preach a specific text. That kind of get that free reign to say, whatever you want to communicate, whatever the Spirit's laid on you, uh, to talk to these people about. And so, uh, as I developed and was thinking through all of that, um, I really came to this this idea, this concept of heritage. Heritage. Uh, heritage is different from legacy, right? Uh, legacy, uh, for all that's good, is oftentimes self-focused, right? I want to build a legacy so that people remember me, so that I contributed something, so that I've done something worthwhile. Well and good, right? Heritage, though, isn't about me. It's about receiving what's been done. And then contributing to that. Heritage isn't a solo endeavor. Heritage is a joint effort. We don't build a heritage by ourselves. We build it with others. Your family name. Your ethnic background. Your racial background. Whatever it is, we build a heritage by the community we're part of. And so starting point for me uh, makes the most sense uh, when I think about scripture as I go back to the Shema. The Jewish people recite still today that it's heritage building for them. And us Christian folk, it's ours too, but, but we don't recite it the same or the frequency that our Jewish brothers and sisters do. But you can see the Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in a couple other places, but it's on the screen. 
this is what the Word of God says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, a lot has happened over the last couple months. If you're not aware of it, I was called to active duty. I'm set to deploy this fall for a year to the Middle East. And when I got that first call, Easter weekend, my mind began to race. Right? Thinking about all the preparation that I needed to do. All of the things that I would miss, all of the things that I want to be able to be a part of with my family and my children. And I began to think, okay, how do I make these moments this time worthwhile? And, and I spent so much time reflecting uh, over the last couple of months about the growth that has happened already over this time. I feel like I've been shaped and formed and grown in ways that I didn't expect or anticipate, partially because of this, this pressure. And other things have happened too. Just uh, just this last Friday, uh, we picked up my my oldest from kids camp. Uh, first overnight experience away from family at kids camp, where he encountered God in a new way and built new relationships and friendships, made memories that will carry with him hopefully the rest of his life. These moments of building, of investing, of pouring. They're all part of that heritage story. Because this doesn't just happen out of nothing. There had to be a groundwork that led to all of this, right? There had to be a foundation that led to all of this. There was a foundation that led to my son being able to go to kids' camp. Because people before have invested in our campground enough to say, we want to make sure that there's dormitories that those kids can stay at. We want to make sure that the facilities are nice enough and safe enough that parents feel secure sending their kids there. For me... There's a whole heritage story of why I'm even here today, why I joined the military, why I'm getting deported. All these things are all part of the story. And for so many of us, I think what happens is with really good attention, we see those moments and we think, man, that was an awesome moment. And then we move on. And maybe we have little glimpses of memories of that moment as time passes by, but the further and further away we get, the dimmer and dimmer that memory gets, right? Because we don't write it down. We don't capture that moment and hold it captive, right? When you go through those photo albums, or now in the digital age, you go through your Facebook albums, right? And you see those old pictures, those memories flood back. But for so much of us, when we have those spiritual moments, that impact, that change, that transformation, how do we capture and we neglect to continue to tell the stories. To tell the story of where God was faithful. To me, to my grandfather or my great aunt or my great uncle. Where did God show up in the midst of that hard time? When we were living in that place and that, that natural, natural disaster happened. Where was God in that? We don't tell the stories enough. And what the Shema reminds us is, man, we need to tell the stories. We need to tell the story of God and how God has worked on behalf of His people. 
And because we serve a God who has adopted us, my story is your story. And your story is my story. We share a heritage and a story of God. Psalm 119, 111. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. 1 Peter 5, 1 3. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to your flock. Scripture reminds us that at one point, we all had a very small story to share about how God had impacted our life. Regardless of what's happened over the course of your life, regardless of where you are with your relationship with Jesus today, at some point, your story was very short, right? There was only so much to tell about what God had done in your life. But as I've just said before, your story is my story, my story is your story, their story is our story. The story of God is so much bigger than just what God has done in my life. It's what God has done in the lives of others and how he has chosen to use us as people who impact the lives of other people. For me, uh, I grew up in the church, specifically the church of Nazarene. This denomination is very familiar to me. Uh, some of you might be sitting here thinking, I don't even really know what a Nazarene is. I just go to this church because your people are nice. I'm like, great, awesome. We love that you're here. Uh, but for me, I'm very, very invested in the, the heritage of the church of Nazarene. Um, it's ingrained in me, right? And I remember one of my earliest memories of church. In fact, the first church I remember ever going to uh, was Alamogordo Church of the Nazarene in New Mexico. Early 1990s. And I remember several things about this church. Uh, some of them not the greatest, but some of them really, really pleasant. In my preschool class there, I received my first Bible. This one in my hand right here. A little pocket-sized New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Gideon Bible, right? Probably have one laying around at home. You've seen them lots of times. And I don't really know, I don't remember anyway, the story of why I was given this Bible. I don't really remember what happened. I remember sitting in the class, and we were in the basement of the church, and we had some tables set up in, in like two tables next to each other in a rectangle shape, and I was sitting on the far side, close to the door, probably so I could escape. And as we concluded that day, I don't remember why, but my Sunday school teacher went, dug it into her purse, pulled out this Bible, crossed out her name on the front page where it says presented to, and she got it in 1974. Crossed that out, wrote out my name, and gave me my Bible. Obviously, I'm have the Bible on the sense it is. This Bible's traveled with me for nearly three decades. As I've gone from New Mexico to Wisconsin to Colorado to Georgia to Illinois to Ohio. 
Ohio. I don't remember a lot of what happened. But I know that in that moment, what it took was a Sunday school teacher willing to invest. And she didn't probably have the long vision to realize that I'd be standing here today, I'm assuming, after she's passed away. Sharing about her and the impact she made because she gave me the Gideon pocket-sized New Testament Bible book. And you could say that's legacy for me, for her, sure. But she wasn't in it for building her name. Because she had no reason to think that she would ever get her name repeated because of this. No, she was in it because she wanted to invest in the heritage of the kingdom of God. She had no idea, no clue that I would ever become a pastor. Because there's no reason to assume that I would ever become a pastor. It's not a family tradition in my family. And yet, because she invested, here I am today. Because she chose to pull, to pour herself into me. Heritage. Everybody's got one. We all have a heritage. You might not like it. There might be things about your heritage that you're not fans of. But you have one. And you can't deny that. We inherit a, a heritage. It comes to us. And then because we inherit it, we also contribute to it, for good or for bad. Right? The heritage we receive, we don't just get to be a, a bystander and just receive it. No, we have to contribute. We either contribute by helping it grow and become stronger for the next generation, or we contribute by choosing to do nothing with it and just let it sit. But either way, we have to interact with it. Either way, something happens to it. We can't really choose whether or not we have one. Because at some level, every one of us has a shared experience, a shared heritage, simply by being human. Human experience is a shared heritage that we all have, and we can't escape it. Even if we're not from the same family tree or geographical location, we share the heritage of our family or our human experience. But a heritage that is invested in and is contributed to become very powerful. It can usher transformation. It can keep life steady in the midst of the chaos of adolescence, puberty, young adulthood, middle age, retirement, all of those moments of life where we experience crisis and identity shaping. Our heritage can be foundational for us. It can bring others into the story that otherwise never knew they shared in our heritage. So why am I sharing this with you today? Right? I think most of us, whether we think about it or not, we underestimate the impact we can have. We don't weigh that accurately. We don't realize the impact we can have on somebody else's life. And on the other side of that, we overestimate the amount of time and energy that is needed to make an impact. We say, I can't do that. I I'm not capable. I don't have the skills or the ability. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. We underestimate the impact we can have when we overestimate the time that is needed to make an impact. 
It did not take 30 seconds for my Sunday school teacher to cross out her name and write my name with his Bible on hands. 30 seconds. And I've carried it with me the rest of my life. And I've remembered her the rest of my life. Don't sell yourself short. Don't think you're not able, you're not equipped, you don't have the time, you don't have the ability or the resources. If God's prompting you, just say yes. Because he's going to do something with that. God does miracles with our yeses. That's just what he's in the business of. After we moved from, or moved from New Mexico to Wisconsin, I started first grade. And just as I started first grade, I received my second Bible. We'll get to my first Bible here in a second. But I received my second Bible here. It looks just like those few Bibles that you have sitting in your pews here. In fact, it was a few Bible from the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. They had it inscribed with my name on it, too. And so we knew it was mine, and I went to get left behind. Presented to me by the Sunday School Department of the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church on October 19, 1997. This Bible was another moment for me. I didn't know this was happening. I remember uh, we were downstairs for Children's Church and they called all the first graders to come upstairs. This is something that the church just did. It was part of their heritage as a church, as a local body. And they had the first graders come on the front row, something like this right here. We all sat. And the pastor came up and, and said something. I wasn't listening at it. Listen to the pastor. Um, And then I remember that they presented each one of us with a Bible, investing in our lives, saying, we care enough about you to spend the money, the resources, on purchasing a Bible and handing it to you. We care enough about you to invest, to pour in, and to take the time to do, I mean, engraving isn't a huge ordeal. But it takes a little bit of like thought to know, like they engraved it, so they had like three planets. It wasn't like Sunday morning at, at eight thirty before the service, and like, oh shoot, we should give the kids a Bible today, and they just grabbed them. They pre-planned this, like it was intentional. I remember that church really well. A, a lot of my faith grew at that church, and, and this is what this symbolizes here for me. Uh, I remember uh, being a part of. Almost everything I could be a part of at that church. Um, our Wednesday night program was called Caravan. I love going to Caravan. We had these cool sashes uh, that you get badges for. If you did the memory verses or the crafts or whatever, I hated craft time. But uh, if I got a badge for it, I might be willing to do it. And I remember listening to Bible stories and, and growing in my relationship with God there uh, and just falling in love with Jesus in a way I never never realized I would. In fact, this church was, I don't know if I show this story, but this church was the, the first church, or the first place I remember ever having a crush. Yeah. And it wasn't on another first grade girl. It was on my Sunday school teacher. She was a, a college student at Indiana Wesleyan University. Here again, I don't remember her name, but I remember her. I see her face. Um, and I remember having a crush on her and just thinking, wow, you know, she's a seven-year-old and I think, well, she's really pretty and she's fun or whatever. 
And as I reflected on that, as I grew up a little bit, right, as I was thinking about that moment and that experience in my, my mind and my relationship with her, I think one of the big things was what I was experiencing was an adult that just loved me, that just cared about me, that showed interest in me, that wanted to teach me, that wanted to show me things, that wanted to help me understand things that, that I didn't already understand. One time, I was really embarrassing, uh, I got sick on Wednesday night, and I don't remember, was it my birthday? It was somebody's birthday, we had cupcakes, so I ate the cupcake, and then I got really sick, and then... As I got up from my turn at, I think we were playing Hangman on the whiteboard, I just, right there. Good. So that's how I knew, that's when I knew that there's nothing going to happen in this relationship. It was done. <laughs> but I remember, too, uh, you know, a Bible story that stuck with me ever since then was the story of Jacob and Esau. You know the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob steals the inheritance that was supposed to be given to Esau because he goes out and he disguises himself as his older brother and gets the inheritance from his father before him. And I remember the story because here again, the Sunday school teacher had chosen, instead of just to, to tell me the story, to tell us the story, she said, all right, we're going we're gonna to act this story out today. And so each one of us in the classroom had a part to play. And I got to play Esau, which is pretty cool, as a seven-year-old. I got to play a tough, strong, masculine guy, covered in hair everywhere. And uh, I remember that story, though. See, again, there was intentionality and the investment and the heritage and the understanding what this meant for my life. It all came together. Don't overestimate the ability that you have. Or, I'm sorry, don't underestimate the ability you have to make an impact. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate the time that you can change somebody's life. Heritage is formed and it's shared by our weekly investment in the story. Heritage is formed and it's shared by our weekly investment in the story. Heritage doesn't get formed by haphazard, inconsistent, every once in a while getting together and, and sharing something. No, heritage is formed by that consistency over and over and over. Consistency over and over and over. Which brings me to my first Bible. That, that one from the Wesleyan Church is my second full Bible. This is my first Bible. I got a few months before that Bible, that few Bible. I got this on my seventh birthday in March. And in this, a lot of the same ways, uh, what they were communicating was a lot of the same things the church was communicating to That we care about your spiritual well-being. We care about what happens in your life. And us investing in you and to give you something that will probably sit on your shelf and collect dust for a while. And if I can count the times, and I've opened this Bible up and decided I was going to begin reading and read through the entire Bible, only to stop after Genesis chapter 10. It'd be too many times to count. Genesis chapter 10 is right after Noah's Ark, so 
transparency in this Bible. And if you see, you probably can't see if it's in the back row, but there are some stickers that have adorned on the front cover of this Bible. And if you grew up in the church, maybe you had something similar to this in your Sunday school times or whatever, but uh, these, these stickers, these particular ones are little Bible stickers. And I received these stickers for consistently bringing my Bible to Sunday school every week, right? So after five weeks or whatever, I'd get a sticker and I'd add it to my Bible. And then the next five weeks, I'd get another one. I don't remember what the big one was for. Maybe they ran out of the little ones. I don't know. Um, but there was a consistency there. Week in and week out. Habit being formed and established. Now, I'm not saying that this made me some kind of super Christian because I brought my Bible every week to church. I mean, there was a lot of weeks I didn't even open the Bible. What good is the Bible if you don't open it? Honestly. But heritage doesn't just happen accidentally. It has to be formed intentionally. Shared as we built upon it. We have to invest in it weekly. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring are a reward from Him. Now, my parents understood that. Now, my parents weren't and aren't perfect parents. In fact, we all know that the only perfect parents are people who haven't had kids, right? That's it. you have kids, and you realize, I'm not very good at this parenting thing. Uh, and your kids will begin to remind you that you're not very good at the parenting thing, too, which is very gracious of them. Um, tell you how bad you are being a parent. Um, but my parents understood that God had blessed them, and also, therefore, then given them a responsibility. That while offspring are a reward from him, they're also a duty from him to invest. Maybe even more than weekly, but daily. To invest intentionally, continually, over and over and over again. And just buying a Bible for your kid and saying, here you go kid, good luck out there. Well, that's, that, that doesn't cut it. But it symbolizes something, doesn't it? that the truth of the gospel that's contained in this binding was important enough to my parents that they said, Matthew needs to know this. He needs to hear this. He needs to read this. He needs to understand this. He needs to come to a place where this becomes his story. You know, I think about Bibles and
be able to read any part of the story that they wanted to at any time, and not just wait till the next Sunday for the, the priest to give a message in Latin that I had to try to understand what he was saying. It wasn't until the King James translation and the invention of the printing press that we had the opportunity to even be able to hold and read scripture. So I'm not saying necessarily that we need to just get back to the glory days where we carry our Bibles everywhere we go and we get stickers for our, our weekly attendance and our regular bringing of our Bibles to church. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it communicates something when we say we're investing over the long haul. We can't just live in the glory days of yesterday. We can't just live in past victories. God is doing a new thing. God is a God of new and creative. He creates new moments of transformation. He doesn't just use the ones from the past. But at the same time, it's important that we remember the past. Because when we remember the past, especially when the present is hard, when we remember the past, we remember and we can see that God was faithful. That God showed up. That my heritage says that, that in this moment, when I felt like there was nothing that could go right, because the world was falling apart, that I see that God was there, and he was faithful. And so now I'm in the middle of this moment, this crisis, this difficult time, and I remember and I say, God was there then. Surely he's here now. And if God was present and consistent then, then surely he's present and consistent now, and even in this moment, he is doing something. Heritage isn't about a formula to redo the past, but it's about a pool of faithfulness. A pool of faithfulness that you can draw from, and it's abundant, and it overflows. Because as I look over here, I say, wow, look at all that God has done. Look at all these things where God has been faithful and He's proven Himself. And I remember them because I've written them on the doorposts of my home and I've bound them on my hearts and on my hands. I've retold the story when I've sat and when I've walked and when I've lied down. We remember the stories and the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. Parents, we have the responsibility to invest in the spiritual, 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 that's what spiritual heritage of our kids. It doesn't mean that they'll automatically grow up to be some Billy Graham, some super Christian. It doesn't even necessarily mean that they'll grow up even appreciating the church. It doesn't. But what it does mean is that we've given them that pool of faithfulness. That when they're ready, when they need it, they can draw on it. It's no uh, mystery that one of the most absent age demographics from churches across the world are the early 20s. Early 20-year-olds, college, young adults, vast majority are absent from our churches. It's not just the Church of Nazarene, it's not just this church, it's, it's global. 
And, and a lot of people scratch their heads and say, why is that? Especially for all those moments, right? I mean, we, we did BBA Slime Sunday here last week, right? All these moments where we've had these, these places of investment in our kids, we poured into them, they've given their lives to Jesus, they said, I'm all in, I'm celebrating Jesus, and then somewhere along the way, it seems like they give up on it. But that pool of faithfulness is still there. If we've given them the heritage, that hasn't left. Even if they're not drawing from it, it's still there. You know one of the biggest reasons those early 20-somethings come back to church? They start having kids. They start having kids of their own. And they remember the foundation that they were given. They remember those moments of heritage building that they had, and they say, well, I want my kids to experience that. I want them to have that too. And they go to that pool of faithfulness, and they draw from it. Begin to tell the stories, and they begin to invest, and they begin to pour in in a way that they hadn't before. It's never wasted. Even if you don't see the return, building heritage is always beneficial. It's always worthwhile. It's never waste. And as parents have this responsibility to invest in their children, the greater church contributes to this heritage by building into the parents, by investing in the parents, pouring into their lives, encouraging them in those hard days of raising kids, and reminding them at times to soak in those moments that the parent is living in sheer chaos because they've got kids that's going in 15 different directions every single day. And some parent who's walked through that journey comes up to them and says, hey, I get it, life's hard right now.
This is the Bible that I carry with me. That walked with me through those journeys. Last month, when I visited my family in Wisconsin, I see this last Bible here. And you'll see it's kind of a, I mean, I really didn't plan this way. This is the Lord, how the Lord does his thing, but it's kind of poetic. It started with Apophysized New Testament, and then he was Apophysized New Testament. This Bible was given to me by my father. It was given to me by his father. Bob Kirkpatrick. In 2013. Now, my grandfather uh, had been given this Bible several years before that, many years before that. In 1945, for Christmas, he was a teenager. And my great grandmother gave him Pakistani Now, that's pretty important. That's pretty cool. Um, the heritage of the family carrying on the Bible. Um, but the next part, I think, is even cooler. 1951 to 1952, my grandfather served as a combat infantryman in the Korean War. Korean War. And while serving as a machine gunner, he was in Company D of the 14th Infantry of the 25th Infantry Division, just north of the 38th parallel. On June 16, 1952, he was wounded by enemy fire. They weren't sure if he was going to make it. He was metabacked, flowing out as fast as they could get him. His hand was mangled and looked like most likely they would have to amputate him to flight. But they held on. Eventually, he was discharged as a result of his wounds. He lost only a finger. Somehow they were able to establish a little hand and he lost his middle finger, um, his left hand. And lived with that disability for the rest of his life. When my grandfather was wounded, and actually this is the Bible he had with him. This is the Bible that sat by his bedside as he recovered. This is the Bible that he poured himself into. He read over and over again. He kept notes from my grandmother, paper clippings, news stories, the inscription from his mother. This Bible is not very different than these other Bibles as far as content. Same words, same truth, same gospel. But the heritage it offers is something entirely grandfather passed on to my dad, who of course served in the Air Force as well, and, and while my dad never faced such life-threatening situations with this problem, my dad tried to live a Christian life in service in the U.S. military, raising five kids, teenagers, a couple of young adults, but at the time they got this Bible, and tried to follow and be a man of integrity, honesty, dedication midst of an ever-changing world that seems to not always value those things as much as it used to. I don't 
that's because my grandfather had this Bible on him that he didn't die that night. I don't, I'm not that superstitious. I don't believe that it's because my grandfather loved God that God chose to spare him that night. I, I don't think that's how God works. But what I do believe is that this symbolizes something. That in the deepest, darkest, worst, most horrible, awful situations, God is with us. God is present. He's not far off. He's not sitting in the chapel back at base. He's not waiting for you back at the church to come back on Sunday morning. In that dark, horrible, awful place when you feel like the walls are closing in and this might be your last breath. God is with you. God has moved over the course of time and space, that's your story. So what are you carrying? What are you sharing? What is it that God has done that has brought about transformation and redemption and making things good? A moment where God showed up in a story of victory or triumph over difficult things. 
And who are you sharing it with? Who have you chosen to invest in? Friends? Family? Have you chosen to invest in the lives of kids in the church like my Sunday school teachers did with me? Have you chosen to invest in your neighbors and your family like my grandmother did with my grand great grandmother did with my great my grandfather? You might not feel like you have a heritage, but I assure you it's a deep pool. Filled with the goodness. Heritage calls us to invest, calls us to contribute, calls us to pour into it. Because the story isn't over again. God reigns and God continues to move. That song we sang earlier today, Worthy of It All, is the song we will be singing in heaven one day. Sitting around the throne room with a choir of angels and the saints. That's us, believe it or not. The saints will be singing for a musical. You deserve the glory. is in the mountain about the glory of God. Will you stand for a great voice? Heavenly Father, stories of your goodness and your faithfulness, that we bind them up together, that we store them in our hearts and in our minds, in order that when the circumstance arrives, when things get really dark, we can pull that story out that speaks the truth of God into the chaos of that situation. God, I pray that, that we not be so consumed with this idea that I've got to do something that builds a legacy for myself. That, that I don't want to be forgotten and, and, and I don't want to contribute something meaningful. That we forget that God, you're the one who's worthy of it all. God, may we not stand in the way of the revelation of Jesus Christ. May we not stand in the way of the stories of your redemption and your restoration. you be the person that comes to our hearts and our minds to speak into the darkness and the difficulties. Because we've been surrounded by our heritage that's formed us, that's shaped us, and that's continuing to invest in us. Now help us to be your people. Precisely the way you need your people to be. So that we might give you glory and honor and praise that only would you uh, just remain standing as we, we sing a, I speak Jesus come on
I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. So every dark and addiction don't to break. every I see Jesus. Power, your name is worthy. Your name is love. Break every stronghold, shine in the shadows. Every heart and every mind 
Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I'd like to invite Chris and Matthew, Dino, Ollie, little man, and uh, Quinn on up. So, Matthew, uh, many of you already know, uh, this is pretty much going to be your last Sunday with us until, until the next time, uh, until 2023, and, and um, you know, the m- most important thing that we can do to express our love to somebody is, is lift them up in prayer, and uh, before that, I, you're your brothers and sisters in Christ and people who love you um, have pulled together some cards for you and your family um, that you can open up together and know that um, there's a lot of people here praying for you. A lot of people here praying for you. And so I'd, I'll set this here so you guys can take this with you. And if you have any more cards, you can leave it there. Um, you had said some scripture. You made a reference of scripture. Uh, in your in your sermon, blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You've said it already that God's already gone before you. And uh, this text talks about a, a tree in the desert. Not in luscious green areas, but in the desert. Planted by a wadi. That its waters only come every now and then, but that tree prospers. Um, I want to you go into Matthew's office um, and you look to the left you'll see on a shelf um, all these coins the challenge coins that the military hands to individuals and uh, Matthew I I have a challenge coin I I did not steal one from you (laughs) I have a challenge coin for you Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water. Jeremiah 17.8 mirrors that scripture from Psalm 1. This coin is not to be put on your shelf. This coin is to go with you, to know that you are that tree in the desert, literally in the desert. You are going to be that tree for men and women who are looking for truth, are looking for God in their crisis. And you're going to be the one that speaks Jesus. And so I I hand this to you knowing that um, you have a family back here that is praying for you. And uh, also, to tie this into what you're speaking to those men and women, to commanders, to those coming in and out of where you're going to be, those here who walk through that eight-week trek, they're going to begin to get one of those. 
and just know that they're going to be like you, trees planted in the desert. I love you, man. You are a friend more than a partner in ministry. You're a friend and you're a brother in Christ. And uh, we love you, Chris. And uh, we're here. We're here. I know. I know. What I'd like to do is I'd like to, for those teenagers that are here, um, I know there are many that are unable to be here today. Those teenagers that are here, would you please first come? Come around this family. Uh, You're going to be surrounded probably by about 15 to 20 on Wednesday. Um, and then I'd, I'd like for the church, uh, if you're a little freaky about getting close to people, that's cool. You can be where you are. But I, I'd like to ask the church to come, to surround. Uh, you can lay hands if you want. Just put sh- on the shoulders if, if that's okay. And uh, I'm going to hold your, your Bible. And we're just going to pray over you and your family. And folks, please pray. Uh, don't listen to me. Just pray. Have a conversation with the Creator. Heavenly Father, I bring my brother. I bring my colleague and my friend in Christ. I bring his wife and his kids before you. Lord Jesus, we lift them up in this moment. And uh, we trust that you will prompt us in the middle of the night during our work days to pray to intercede and intervene on his behalf and on Chris's behalf and on his kids behalf I trust that you will prompt us by your spirit to check in with Chris not just ask the question of how you doing what can I do can I take your kids from you for a couple hours can I invest in you her. Lord Father, I trust that you will be the God who you say you are, and you are going to go before this man and his wife and his kids. That you're going to go before and you're going to come behind, that you hem us in behind and before, and that you will go with us and you are within us. That is the width of God. You surround us, and I trust that you will do so with him. And I ask that you minister. I know that Matthew has this sense that he's going to be isolated. But I ask that you provide a brother, a sister in Christ, men and women that love you and trust you, not just profess with their lips, but believe in their hearts, that can support him while he is doing the ministry in which he is called to do. Lord, I ask that you provide divine warriors, what we call angels, to minister, to protect, to divinely surround both he and his family in this time. May he know that his brothers and sisters in Christ are loving him and supporting him. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for my friend. Jesus, go, go with. 
when he lays his head down at night and he thinks about his family. Will you just come in with such peace? With your presence. Father, I know this is going to be your separation, but I really hope and pray that there are technical abilities for him to be able to see and talk with his family. We provide those moments that will be refreshing for both him and Chris and the kids. And Father, you've entrusted us with him. You knew well before we hired him what was about to take place in his life. And so you have put these people in this place for more reasons than one, but one of those reasons is to love and uphold Matthew and his family. To take care. To do the practical things. Yes, to send care, uh, gift, gift cares, but also to do the practical things and and supporting their family and raising their kids and, and investing in them and praying over them. And so may when Matthew is there, may he know that his family is here and raising his, his kids, loving them, supporting them, high-fiving them, praying over them, celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. Father, I just give, I give my heart here. You know what's on my mind. You know what's on his and, and Chris's. And I thank you that you already know what we need before we ask them. And so, Lord, do those things. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you. May your presence be with him, empower him, and equip him, and anoint him. It's in your name, Jesus, that we ask these things. Amen. I love you guys. Every stronghold shine through the shadows Thank you for listening to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.